The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. morning, New Song Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. So good to see you this morning. We're continuing our series, Define the Relationships. In fact, we're concluding our series, Define the Relationships, today. And today we are going to be talking about marriage. Now, as we get ready to talk about this, let me first of all kind of make a couple of disclaimers. First of all, uh, if, if you're here today and you're not married, it doesn't mean you can check out, Okay. Uh, There's a lot of stuff we're going to talk about that's just important to relationships that you can learn a lot from. But if you're someone who wants to be married, if you're someone who knows people who are married, I promise you this message can minister to you. And if you are here this morning and you are married, uh, here's how I want you to process this information, okay? Don't be listening today and thinking, man, I hope my spouse is hearing this right now. (laughs) Don't do that. This is about you, okay? Point to yourself and say, it's about me. Focus on the changes that you can make personally Uh, And I I promise you it's going to be very helpful to you. So since we're talking about marriage this morning, I have the lovely, in fact, actually this week I was trying to think of how to introduce Sarah since she's here with me. And not just to kind of get up and say she's lovely, she's cool, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I got on dictionary and I started looking up and I found this word coruscating, which I think kind of talks, speaks to who I think Sarah is. I don't want to fall down here as I, it's, here's what it means. Coruscating means brilliant and striking in content and style. Pretty good word, right? So may I introduce the coruscating Sarah Blunt to you this morning. Would you give her a hand this morning? Make her feel welcome. So we're going to be talking about marriage today and we're calling this message Top It Off. Everybody say Top It Off. Top It Off. And you'll understand a little bit more what that means here in a moment. Let me make a second disclaimer, okay? Uh, Since we're talking about marriage, we're going to be talking about some stuff today (laughs) that falls in between the PG and probably PG-13 section of rating, okay? So I'm telling you this because if you, there you go. If you have a child in here, you may want to go check them into children's ministry right now. They're ready for you. They're prepared for you. But that way you avoid having to have some other conversations later today that you maybe are not ready to have yet. Okay? So that's just a, we, we think very highly of you, but, but there you go. All right? Everybody say, top it off. <laughs> so when we talk about marriage, I think one of the, bigger, the big problems that we face a lot of times when it comes to marriage is our perception of what marriage can be and, and kind of the idea of, of really what we think. We, because of divorce being what it is today, 50% of marriage is in a divorce, I think that sometimes we go into marriage with kind of a little bit of a hopeless inevitability. Like, like the goal of marriage is to just survive. <laughs> that we just, we just want to make it. We want to be a part of that 50% that makes it. And it doesn't matter how miserable we are. It doesn't matter that we've just become a roommate with our spouse. It doesn't matter that we don't enjoy each other's company anymore. We're not going to be the 50% that gets a divorce. Let me just tell you, God has more for you than that. Yeah. The, the goal of marriage is not to just not get a divorce. Right. In fact, here's the goal of marriage. Look up here on the screen with me. This is the goal of marriage. The goal of marriage is that your oneness would display God's glory in a way that no other event or institution could ever possibly display. So the goal of marriage is that people would look at your marriage and they'd see the glory of God. They, they'd get a, a greater picture of the love of God. They'd see the image of Jesus Christ and, the, and, and God in this world through your, through your marriage. So, so we believe this. We believe that God doesn't want your marriage to just survive, but he wants your marriage to thrive. Can I get an Amen. amen. 
And, and, and so the question is, is, can you guys put that back up there for just a second? Is, is this happening? <laughs> like if people were to look at your marriage, is this the image that they would see in your marriage? Another way to think about it is like this. Okay, imagine that there was a documentary crew filming you over the last year of your life. Every waking moment, they're filming you. They're going to turn this into a documentary. They're going to put it on Netflix for the world to see. Wow. Here's the question. What would the world think about Christ's love for the church based on your love and your commitment and the service of your spouse? Now, a documentary crew is probably not following you around, but here's the thing, guys. People are watching you. Absolutely. Your kids are watching you. Your coworkers, your neighbor, there's couples in this church, newlywed couples in this church, single people in this church, they're watching you. What message is your marriage showcasing? It's an important, that's an important question. What message is your marriage showcasing? We believe that by God's grace, empowered by his spirit, submitted to his word, that our marriages can be a a channel of blessing for us and the world around us. That's good. That's good. Proverbs 18.22 says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Your marriage is supposed to be a good thing. So we want to help you with that today, okay? So if you have your Bible, go to John chapter 2. I hope you're taking notes this morning. I hope you're following along with us in the New Song app, John chapter 2. We're going to look at uh, the first miracle that Jesus ever performed, and it was at a wedding. And I believe that there's some things we can pull out of this, this miracle in this story today. In fact, we're going to show you some things in this that I think are really going to help you to build a godly marriage. And like I said, if you're a young person in this room, if you're not married, take good notes. Learn this stuff now before you get into marriage, all right? John chapter 2, let's start in verse 1. It says this, Now on the third day, uh, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited. Everybody say invited. Invited. Invited to the wedding. Now, why was Jesus there? Because he was invited. And, and I think that's, a, that's something you got to grab right there, okay? If you don't like where your marriage is today, the question is, have you invited Jesus into it? Yeah. And, and here's the thing. If you invite Jesus in, you're going to see this in the store. If you invite him into your marriage, he'll show up. And not only will he show up, but he will bring something to it. He'll bring his miracle working power into your marriage and can bring something that can transform it into something far, far greater. Okay, so, so Jesus is at this wedding. And this social blunder takes place in that they run out of, of wine. We'll pick it up verse 3. It says this, When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother said to him, uh, They have no wine left. Jesus replied, Woman, why are you saying this to me? My time has not yet come. His mother told his servants, Whatever he tells you, do it. Now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. These are big water jars. Jesus told the servants, fill the water jars with water, so they filled them up to the very top. Everybody say, top it off. Top it off. Then he told them, now draw out and take to the head steward. And they did. When the head steward tasted the water, here's the miracle, that had been turned into wine, not knowing where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, he called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, then the cheaper wine when the guests are drunk. You have kept the good wine until now. In other words, this is the best wine that's, that's been here all day. This is the best we've seen. Jesus did this at the first, as his first miraculous sign in Cana of Galilee. In this way, he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Okay, so like we said, this is his first earthly miracle. And we believe that it was strategic, that yeah. it was at 
a wedding. And we believe that that points to the fact that marriages are very significant and important to the heart of our Father. And like Josh said, when we invite him in, he will show up. Now, I want you to look at verse 6. It says, Now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish ceremonial washing, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Okay, picture these jars in your head. These were big jars. Uh, And after the, the miracle happened, there was 120 to 180 gallons of wine there. Why? Because the servants filled these jars up with 120 to 180 gallons of water. Now think about how hard this would be. There was no water hose that they could like unwind in the backyard and drag it over and put it into the barrel and then turn on the faucet and and then just kind of go and socialize while these they waited for these jars to fill up. That's not what happened here. This was a ton of work. They had to go to a well. They had to draw out water from the well. They had to pour it into these jars. Now imagine... That was pretty exhausting. And also think about this. Jesus didn't tell them exactly what was going to happen. He wasn't like, hey, I'm going to turn this into wine. He just said, hey, fill these jars up with water. So they had to go and obey, not knowing what the outcome would be. So they filled them up to the very top. There was no room left to add anything, which was perfect. Because Jesus wasn't about to add to what they did. He was about to totally transform what they put in. That's good. He was about to transform it supernaturally. So the miracle that Jesus did, I want you to see this, is in direct proportion to the amount of of water that these servants were about to pour in. Write that down. The miracle Jesus did was in direct proportion to the amount of water the servants poured in. In the same way. God wants to bless your marriage, yeah. but he's going to do it according to the amount of work and effort that you're willing to put into your That's marriage. So Are you willing to obey God? Yeah. Are you willing to take him at his word? Even though you don't know what the, what the end game looks like, you don't yeah. know the, all the details. Are you willing to just obey and give it your all? Listen, good marriages don't happen on their own. I think sometimes we look at marriage as good relationships and we think it's like a disease. Like we can catch this good marriage relationship thing just by riding in the same car together or by sitting at the same table together or by sleeping in the same bed together. But that's not how this works. Good marriages take effort. It takes dedication. There's an old saying that says, how do you spell marriage? W-O-R-K. If you want your marriage to work, 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 Rihanna, then you have got to put in the work, 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 work. You've got to do it. God will bless what you put in. He will transform it into something supernatural that just like that wine, it not only blessed those servants, but it blessed those, everybody around them that was there. Aren't you glad? I'm sure that the servants were so glad that they didn't stop halfway, that they weren't like, ah, it's good. This wedding's almost over anyways. Let's just fill this thing up. To ha- no, they, they, they put in the, the work. They filled it up to the very top. Now, I want you to read the last sentence in the story one more time. This is so good. So Jesus did this as the first of his miraculous signs in Cana of Galilee. In this way, he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Remember, the goal of our marriage is to reveal the glory of God, to showcase the glory of God. This says right here, in this way, in what way? This, in this way, Jesus took what we're willing to put in and transformed it into something supernatural. Yeah. In that way, he chose to reveal his glory and the disciples believed in him. We're telling you, in the same way, you put in the effort, you fill these jars up to the top. This is the way that God wants to reveal his glory to those around you and cause them to believe in him and his love for the world and the church. So we've got to adopt 
a to-the-top mentality. So good. We could go home at that point right now, right? But we got more for you, all right? In fact, there's, there's six jars in this story. And what we want to do is we want to relate your marriage, okay, all right, whatever, to these six jars and, uh, and talk about how you can fill up these six jars. We believe if you'll fill up these six jars in your marriage to the top, that God can produce something miraculous in your marriage that, that not only brings glory to him, but that blesses you and blesses the world around you. All right, so here's jar number one. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Treasure your role. Treasure your role. Sarah and I both love movies. We, we go see a movie every week, pretty much. And, uh, and we love good movies and we love good acting. And one of the things I've learned in movies is in order for... Uh, an actor to, to act well in a role, they have to really understand the role that they're playing and get into character. They have to understand the vision that the director has for the movie and then they get into their role and they get into the mindset of that role. They place themselves within that story and think through how this person would, would process each situation based on the role that they're called to play, based on the character that they're supposed to play under the director, director's vision. And the same way, listen, God has a role for you. God is the director of our life. He's got a story for your life and he has a role for you to play. And so if you're going to play the the role in marriage that you're supposed to play and bring glory to God through your marriage, you got to get into character. You got to own your role. So we're going to talk for just a moment about the roles that we have as a husband and wife in marriage. Okay, so first of all, here's, here's the role of a husband. Here's, here, here it is. Ephesians 5, 25. It says, husbands, love your wives. Everybody say, love your wives. And then we get the model that we're supposed to base this love on. It's the model of Jesus Christ, just as Christ loved the church. And then it says this, it tells us how he did that. He gave up his life for her. So Jesus exemplified this sacrificial love that we're supposed to have when it comes to how we, how we care for and love our wife. Listen, husbands, you're called to be the leader of your home and you're called to love your spouse and love your family the same way that Jesus loved the church. So what does that look like? Okay, well, let me, let me just quickly give you a few things. If we're looking at the life of Jesus and how he loved his, the church and how he, he served the church in the world, how can we model our, our love for our spouse after that? Well, first of all, we're about serving and not being served. That's how Jesus loved the church. Uh, we, we empty ourselves of pride if we're about loving our spouse like Jesus loved the church. Uh, we, we would lay down our position of comfort in order to serve the bride. Think about Jesus. He had, he had everything in heaven. He, he, was, he, he laid down divinity so he could come to this earth and he became nothing so that we could through him become something. That's, that's a model of how we're supposed to love and care for our spouse. We lay down our own will if we're modeling our, our love for our spouse like Jesus loved the church. Jesus said, we, we, Haley talked about this just a moment ago, not my will but yours be done. He laid down his own will in service to, to the church. Uh, if you want to serve your, your wife the way Jesus served the church, uh, we need to seek to understand and, 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 and come to really know her perspective. You know, I think sometimes we, we get married and before we get married, we're dating our spouse. Like we really want to understand our spouse. Like we are before we know, but when we're dating them, we want to understand what makes them tick. And then we get married and we just kind of, we're done with that. But, but we're called, that's what Jesus did. Jesus became one of us. He, he came down to this earth and, and lived as one of us and, and had an understanding of who we are. He was an always tested the way we are. And my question for you husbands is, are you really seeking to understand your wife? The Bible says this in 1 Peter 3 verse 7, all husbands are to seek to live with their wives in an understanding way. Obviously, you cannot become a woman. You shouldn't. <laughs> but, but you can seek to understand how your wife 
is processing things and she's thinking. That, that's part of who you're called to be as a, as a Christian. Uh, if, if you want to you wanna love your, your wife the way Jesus loved the church, you've got to see her with the eyes of faith. And Jesus had tremendous eyes of faith for, for human potential. He, he looked at his disciples and he didn't just see them for where they were. He saw them for who they could become. We need to have that same, those same eyes of faith when it comes to our wife that you don't just see her for where she's at. Listen, we're all works in progress, aren't we? Where none of us have arrived. And you need to be willing to, to pray and ask the Lord to give you eyes of faith to see your wife the way God sees her, to understand and, and, and get that revelation. Here, here's, my, here's my point. We're called to lay down our life for our spouse. That's what we're called to do. You're called to lay down your life for your wife. We've been given as, as husbands this tremendous uh, opportunity to, to display the love of Jesus Christ to our families and to our wives. And, and, but that, that, that love is a sacrificial love. It's a love that's, that's in service. It's a love that is spent in serving the other person. And so God, that's what God's calling us to. As husbands, we got to take up our role. We got to get into this character. And I'm telling you, if you'll do your role, if you'll step into the character God's called you to, to be and do and love your spouse, love your wife the way Jesus has called you to, it makes it so much easier for your wife to step into the role God's called her to. Right. So let's talk about the wife's role, all right? Ephesians 5.22, it says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now here's that scripture that we read as women and it makes us feel like this. It makes us feel inferior to our husbands. But it's not that we're inferior. It's just that we have a different role to play. Write that down. I'm not inferior to my husband, but I do have a different role to play. And it's an important role. It's a role that's to be, to be treasured. It's a vital role. We got to understand how important this is. So the first part of that is helper. We're called to be helper. Genesis 2.18, God said he would make a helper suitable for, Ad, uh, for Adam. Now, I think sometimes we hear that word helper and we think that maybe it's translated as maid. I've just yeah. got to clean up and take care of the house. And we think it's translated as cook. I got to be barefoot and pregnant all the time in the kitchen serving my man dinner. We think it's translated babysitter. But let me tell you something, ladies, that's not what this no. word is translated as. This word helper is the same word that is used to, to talk about God when he's our helper. The yeah. same word that, it, that says God's our helper is the same word that it says you're your spouse's helper. Yeah. So this is not some maid, child care provider, uh, you know, just at your beck and call. That's not what this word means. Think about how God helps us. He helps us know our purpose. Yeah. He helps us when we're off track. He helps so us good. to see things that we can't see. Yeah. He helps us when we're afraid. He helps us to take the next step. He, like, there's, like, that's what kind of helper you're supposed to be to your husband. The same type of helper that God is to us. Treasure that role. It's an important role. You've been given just an incredible anointing to be the helper in your husband's life. It says this, uh, I wrote this down, I don't want to skip this. God's designed wives to help their husband become all that God intends them to be. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. The next part is you're called to be a lover. Titus 2.4 calls for wives to love their husbands. Now this word love here, it's best, uh, best translated unconditional acceptance. The kind of love that's unconditional acceptance. Here's the thing, wives, we know our husbands better than anybody else in the world. And they need us to love them unconditionally. When somebody comes up to Josh after the service and is like, oh, that was a great message, Pastor Josh. That was so great. He values that. He's like, oh, thank you. But when I say it, 
It's yeah. a whole nother level. Why? Because I know him. I know he knows I know him. And I, I'm, I'm loving him unconditionally. That's what kind of love this is talking about. You're to call or you're to love your husband, accept him, even though he's an imperfect person. So a wife is to be a helper and a lover that submits to her husband's leadership. Now let me let you in on something. The more you treasure your role and the more you get into character and the more you get real intentional about being a helper and a lover, it's going to be a lot easier to submit to your husband's leadership yeah. because he is going to be owning this thing. He is going to be doing this like God has called him to do it. It's going to be easier for you to submit where he's leading your family because he's leading your family to a good place because of the love and support that you're providing for him. Um, I'm not perfect at this. But I work at this. And I can't remember the last time where Josh, I had to submit to something in our home that didn't sit right with my spirit. Yeah. This, doesn't, this just doesn't happen because he's doing his role and I'm doing his role. We're submitted to God and it just, that, that kind of thing doesn't happen. Submission naturally follows when I'm loving him and supporting him the way God has called me to do. Here's the question that every man wants to know. This is good. To the ends of the earth, would you follow me? That's what your husband wants to know. To the ends of the earth, would you follow me? It's a lyric from one of my favorite Lord Huron songs. A girl didn't write that song. A guy wrote that song because that's what his heart is saying. That's what his heart is beating. Yeah, I want to know if God calls me here, would you follow me? If I say, let's go do this, would you follow me? So if you spend your days helping him, loving him, and letting him know that you follow him. He is going to be the best leader. He's going to do all that God has called him to do. So get into character. Yeah. Learn your role. Study this more. Obviously, we can't give you every detail that you need to know about your role. That's your job. You got to get in the word and find out your role in marriage and begin to treasure it. Yep. All right, jar number two. All right, this leads us to outserve one another. We're going to outserve one another. In Matthew 5:41, Jesus said, "Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too." When Jesus made those state, uh, this statement in those days, a Roman soldier, uh, he could poke somebody with a spear and say, "Hey, carry my gear for a mile." And that soldier, that, that person, whoever he poked with the spear, would have to do that. Yeah. And Jesus is saying, "Whenever someone asks you to go one mile, I want you to go too. Go the extra mile." That's where yeah. we get that expression, "Go the extra mile." Yeah. I think so many times in marriage we think, "Okay, I'll start walking your way, and you start walking mine, and we meet in the middle." I'm giving you all kind of lyrics this morning. Um, but we, we want to bring our half and, and you bring your half and we'll kind of meet in the middle and hope that our two halves make a whole. Yeah. But God's saying, no, no, no. I want you to go the extra mile. This is about sacrificing your own comfort and it's about preferring your spouse in every situation, preferring yeah. their comfort above your comfort. This is true in housework. This is true in sex. This is true in all aspects of the marriage. Go the extra mile. Outserve one another. Absolutely. We, we have some friends who have a sign in their house that says this. It says, two people determined to outserve one another. I think that's a great yeah. way to think about this. Like you're determined. We're going to be aggressive servants is what we're going to be in our home. So, so think about this. You are, we've talked about this before at New Song Church. Uh, you're, you're a three-part being, your spirit, soul, and body, and so is your spouse. And so you need to serve your spouse in all three parts of who they are. You need to serve them spiritually, uh, emotionally, and, and also physically, okay? So spiritually, how do you serve your spouse? Well, you pray for them. Yeah. 
You need to pray for your spouse on a daily basis. Pray for your spouse. Please pray for your spouse. You need to pray with your spouse. You need some time where you guys connect and you pray about things. When, when they come to you and they say, hey, this is really bothering me. Okay, let's pray about that. Right then, pray over your spouse. Pray with them. Uh, talk about spiritual things in your home. Bring up what God's showing you in the word of God. Even if they don't always react to it very well. You would never know this about Sarah. But when we first got married, she was like so shy when it came to talking about the things of God. Like you wouldn't see that in her now. But that's how she was then. It took her a while to get comfortable and to grow and mature and get confidence in the word of God. And who God had called her to be but, but she developed that as we began to communicate together And talk about the word And grow together in that way So, so serve your spouse uh, spiritually By ministering to them Minister your children Be the leader Listen, the, the leader of the spiritual home Is not the woman or the man It's both of you So take up that role You're the spiritual leader of your home Step up into that role, alright one, one more thing I think we love to get words for other people Love to get words for your spouse God, what do you have for him today? You're what do you want? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm Messing up your notes. Yeah, thank you. Uh, She's over here pitting them. Yeah. It's because I love you and I want it. Yeah. So, but ask God to give you a word for your spouse. Like once a day, once a week. So, and and you, I'll do this for him. Hey, I was praying for you and this is what the Lord showed me today. Do that for your spouse. That's how you can invest spiritually. Absolutely. Outserve your spouse emotionally. How do you do that? You listen to them. Take time to listen. When they have feelings, don't just toss their feelings aside. Like if they're feeling something, they're feeling something. Don't brush it over as being ridiculous or stupid or not important or, or, you know, it's just emotion or whatever. No, no, no. Like really serve them in that way. Serve them emotion. When, when they tell you secrets, keep them. Keep the secrets. Guard, guard them emotionally. Uh, be, serve them in that way. Uh, and then serve them physically. Be a servant to them physically. Or I could also say like this, serve in the house. Now, let me say this, first of all. You need to determine, if you're married, who does what. There needs to be a conversation about that. You need to have clear boundaries when it comes to that. Because here's what happens. If you don't always clarify that stuff, then one person may be thinking something is one responsibility. The other one thinks it's the other's. And because there's no clarity, some things aren't getting done. And then the resentment can pop up. And if you have clearly defined who does what, do what you're supposed to do. Start there. Because if you don't, again, resentment is going to rise up. You're going to allow the enemy to speak into things. If you're not pulling your your load but then go remember what Sarah just said go the extra mile I, I think something I try to practice on a regular basis on a weekly basis is what does she normally do that I can serve her in this week so what can I t- yeah you like that don't so you good. what can I take off her plate listen yes. guys there is neither male nor female when it comes to housework Amen. okay no Amen. masculine or feminine like get in there we all can see dirty dishes we all can see lo- loads of laundry jump in get on board make things happen serve your spouse go the extra mile and when you be, when you do this you take on this approach of being an aggressive servant this isn't about keeping score this isn't i did five things and she did three this is we did eight right we did eight. We're in this together. We're a team. And if you want to keep score, keep it where it's like, hey, I'm, I'm going to outserve. I'm keeping score in my heart, and I'm outserving you, and I'm going to keep outserving you. That's the heart you should have when it comes so to this. All right, jar number three, protect your heart. Protect your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart more than anything else because the source of your life flows from it. So we're to protect our heart. We're to guard it more than we are to guard to protect anything else in the entire world. Why? Because it's our, it's our heart that our, our will, our emotions, our thoughts, that's where those things flow from. So we've got to protect and guard it above all else. So what does that look like in marriage? What should we be protecting our heart from in marriage? Here's the number one thing I think we've got to protect our heart from. It's offense, uh, taking up an offense with our spouse. Yeah. 
We gotta, we gotta guard our heart from taking up an offense with our spouse. Write this down, okay? Stop letting the devil interpret your spouse to you. Stop letting the devil interpret your spouse to you. Here's the thing. The devil loves to interpret. Yeah. He loves to take thoughts, actions, motives, words, and he likes to interpret those things in his native tongue. You want to know what his native tongue is? Check it out. John 8, 44. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Are you going to let the father of lies interpret your spouse That's to good. you? Good question. Here's, here's, here's how this works. Your spouse forgets to take out the trash. And you asked him to a couple of times or it's like... She's not talking about me. I'm really not because he is so faithful with that. But uh, there's been other times. (laughs) There's been other things. There's been other things. But let's just take the trash, for example. He forgets to take out the trash. And you see it and you're frustrated and along comes the snake. And he starts to whisper in your ear. He doesn't care about how busy you are this week. He doesn't see... Uh, he, he doesn't listen. Your words don't matter to him when really he actually just forgot. But he the forgot enemy, to take out the trash. But the, but the enemy comes in and he'll start, to, he'll start to whisper these things to you. He'll start to lie to you and he builds this little, he puts up this little wall. There's this little thing, this little offense, and then he'll continue to build on that. And so it starts as he forgot to take out the trash, but it turns into something so much worse. Here's the thing. When the enemy comes and tries to interpret you to you, yeah. You're pretty good to defend yourself. That's not true. I'm a child of God. I am all that he says I am. I'm no longer a slave to fear. We will defend ourselves when the enemy comes to us, but are we doing the same for our spouse? Are you defending your spouse and saying, no, 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 that's not it. You've got it wrong. I know him. He loves me. He cares for me, and I'm going to believe the best about him. That's good. Here's jar number four. Occupy. Here we go. This is where we go, PG-13. Occupy the marriage bed. Now, when I say occupy the marriage bed, I'm not talking about occupying a position of sleeping within the marriage bed. I'm not talking about laying in bed and watching, you know, binge watching whatever the new popular Netflix show is. I'm not talking about that. We're talking about sex, okay? And you need to understand this morning that sex is a big deal. And it's an important thing in your marriage. And I want you to know, I'm just going to get real with you this morning. Uh, Me and this girl, we have great sex together. Boom. We do. Now, we didn't always. We didn't always. But, but we, we learned how to transform water into wine in this area. And so, so we'll give you a little hint into how you can do that here in just a moment. Yep. Okay, but first, got to read you this. This is a question I, I found this week. I came across it. Somebody submitted this question to focus on the family. Okay, check this out. Is sex really that critical to a healthy marriage? Here's why I ask. I'm having a disagreement with my spouse. He tells me that sex is a sacrament and a holy mystery and that it needs to be central to our relationship. He even uses scripture to support these claims. How dare him? I, I don't agree. After all, there's a lot more to marriage than just sex. Besides, the Bible itself seems to suggest that sex is basically a sort of functional chore, not a deeply meaningful spiritual experience. I get the feeling that some believers think sex is more important than the Bible says it is. Do you agree? Now, I'm not a writer for focus on the family, but if I was, here's what I would have told her. No, Patty, we do not agree. Your husband is 
absolutely 100% right. Sex should be central to your relationship. What's going on here is that you don't feel like having sex as much as your husband does. So you're trying to find... So you're trying to find a loophole. You're trying to twist God's word so that it supports your agenda instead of submitting to God's word. Have you actually read the Bible? It doesn't appear so. The Bible does not suggest that sex is a chore. Rather, it describes sex as a beautiful exchange, a symbol, the physical expression of leaving and cleaving and becoming one flesh. This defines the very essence of marriage. There's a vital sense in which sex is the glue that uniquely bonds husband and wife together. I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you think like, Patty, it's really not that big of a deal. I'm here to tell you that it is. It's critical. It's crucial to your marriage, and you should be having a lot of it. Yeah. Look at the person beside you. Amen. (laughs) Look at the person beside you and say, don't be a Patty. Don't be a Patty. 1 Corinthians 7 says this. Look at this with me. It is good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong. But marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. So God's given us the, the covenant of marriage as a place. Sex is a gift. It's supposed to be a gift. And, and God's given us marriage as a place to, to, that can contain that and help us to, to use it so it can become a gift. The mar- Here's how we do it. The, mar- the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife. The wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. So, so here's, here's how, we, how we say this, all right? It's my pleasure to give my spouse pleasure. That's the key to this. It, it's my pleasure to give my spouse pleasure. If you want to have great godly sex... Bless sex. Turn your sex water into wine. Yeah. You have to focus on the other person. Right. You have to make the focus of what you're doing on the other person. That's how you, you transform right. it. So is this jar half full? I mean, really think about this. Are you having like really lame short sex once a week? Lame. I'm, I'm t- we've been there. We've yeah. had the lame, the lame sex. Right. <laughs> that, was, that was like... <laughs> Like you keep touching years. my arm. It's going to be on. <laughs> or maybe you're maybe once a month, or maybe you can't remember the last time that you had really great, meaningful sex. What's going on? How can yeah. you fill that jar to the top? Ladies, what's your, what's your lingerie drawer look like? Is it a bunch of holy old husband t-shirts in there, right? Or have you invested? Are you too busy? Are we will, you too tired? Ladies, we'll give you some money. Yeah. <laughs> I will give you a budget, honey, if you will do this. Right. Here's the thing. Really, look at this jar. Where, how full is it? Yeah. Let's have a to-the-top mentality. Let's yeah. fill this jar to the top. Let's give God something to work with, and he'll transform it into something amazing. Yes. Uh, so uh, let me say this, and I'll, I'll try to wrap this up. But husbands, if your wife does not want to have sex with you, like I think you got to kind of take that personally. Like, take on the challenge of that. Like, again, going back to, like, focus on, on her. Really put your focus on her. Let's just be real, guys. We're going to get there. Aren't we? <laughs> but let's put, our, put the focus and attention on serving the other person 
And I'm telling you, it'll be so much more meaningful. The Bible says this in Acts 20, 35. There is more happiness in giving than there is in receiving. Communicate. Talk. Figure out what what each other likes. Communicate about this stuff. Talk about it. Get real. Have fun. And occupy the marriage The other thing about out-serving one another, the the jar we talked about, is when you're out-serving your spouse, you're both going to have more energy and you're able to engage in more meaningful sex. All right. Number five. Jar number five is find time. Now, time is the most precious gift that you can give to your spouse in marriage. Why? Because communication is the lifeblood of any relationship. And if you're going to communicate with your spouse, then you're going to have to find time to do that. You're going to have to find time to communicate with your spouse. Uh, So you're probably thinking this is a part of the message where we're going to tell you to go on date nights and uh, pray together and things like that. And then this is a part of the message where you're going to be like, yeah, but you don't, know, you don't understand my schedule. Like we've got all these little kids and my husband works and he travels and I'm at it. Like we just, this doesn't work for us. Maybe that works for you guys, but it doesn't work for us. We don't have time to, to find time for each other. Okay. If you think you have a time problem, you don't. You have a value problem. Yeah. You have a priority problem. So here's how we break this down. What is valuable to you? What, what, is your, what are your priorities? Is your marriage a priority? If it is, hear me, you will find time. You've got 168 hours a week just like we do, yeah. just like every other human being. Will you find time in that 168 hours a week to communicate and spend time investing in your marriage? Uh, I, I want to give you a tool, something that will help you do this. It's a word. We talked about this word last week. That word is no. If you will begin to grow your no, God will bless your yes. What can you say no to? What can you say no to right now? Maybe you could say no to your kids sleeping in your bed. Like, this is your bed. This is your marriage bed. What if you tell them no and don't have a child run home? What What if you tell that boss no on the overtime? Yeah. Like, the money is going to be great, but how often are you going to, like, is that going to hurt your marriage? It's good. Tell your buddy no that is always b- pulling you away from your family. Tell so Netflix good. no. Yep. Say, say no to your phone at night. Say no to having a TV, a TV in your bedroom. Grow your no so that God can bless your yes. That's so good. Say no to the wrong things, and so you can say yes to what matters to you and what's important to you. Find time by saying no. Yeah. Matthew five thirty seven. Jesus said this. He said, just say a, say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond that is, uh, is from the evil one. So yes or no, just get real with that kind of stuff. All right, here's jar number six. Facilitate transparency. Facilitate transparency. There's a very interesting verse in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2. This is before the fall of man because of sin. So what we actually see at this point is God's original intent and what he wanted to be taking place in people's lives. And there's a verse, verse 25, it says, The man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Why did they feel no shame? Well, there was no sin in the world. So, so they had no shame. There was, no, there, was no, there was nothing that made them feel like when they were together, even though they were naked on the outside, on the inside, they were covered. And that's where it's important to be covered is on the inside. They were covered with righteousness because there was no sin and shame. Now, beautiful thing for us is because of Jesus, we can be covered by the righteousness of God. Our sins can be erased. But the problem is sometimes we hold on to stuff inside. Yeah. And we compartmentalize sinful behavior or, or fear or, or all sorts of things. We, we kind of keep them inside and we keep them hidden away from the world around us, from our spouse, and it does damage to us. Uh, when I was seven years old, I, I got a tick like you do, you know, growing up Not in like Oklahoma. Tick, but like, no, yeah. yeah, like the bug, a tick. 
Yeah, that's good. Thank you for clarifying. Um, <laughs> but I got a tick, and and uh, and normally, you know, I would just go to my mom or dad, and they would help me to get this tick off. But but the problem was, I had a couple problems. One was I was at camp. I was first year at camp. I was seven years old. I was away from my family for a week. The second problem was I got the tick in a very private area, like an area I did not want to expose to anybody else, show anybody else. And so I'm seven years old, and I discover this in the little shower, and I remember kind of trying to deal with it myself, but I, I couldn't. And so I just thought, well, I'll just leave it alone, and, and hopefully this will go away. Um, but it didn't. And, and it started to get sore. It started to hurt. And it also started to really bother me. I, I'm, you know, you're seven. You're not very rational. I'm laying in bed at night, and I'm thinking, am I going to die in my sleep? Like, I didn't know. And I could, it was like I could just, this thing was on me and it was, bothering, and it was just occupying my mind and my thought and it was just eating me up. And my counselor kind of could tell that something was wrong with me, something was going on. So he asked me one day, Josh, you okay? And I just broke down, started crying and told him, I've got a tick. And, you know, told him. And so he was like, all right. And he, he walked me down to the nurse's station and uh, I went in and I, I told him about it. And I didn't want to show them where it was. And they said, listen, we've got to deal with this. Because if you don't, it could lead to a lot worse stuff. If you just leave it alone, it could lead to infection. It can make you very sick. People have even died of stuff like this before. So we've got to deal with it. So I had to, I had to expose myself in a very private area of my life. Expose a weakness. Expose a pain. Expose something to them. But, but they were able to deal with it. And I was able to find freedom from it. Now, I tell you that story as I was processing this this week. God reminded me of that. I haven't thought of that since I was seven years old, but God reminded me of that story. And I think sometimes we tend to kind of process some of the problems of our life like a little child does. We've got these areas of our life, private areas of our life, where we're struggling with something. Something is hurting us. Something's doing damage to us. And we just kind of think, well, maybe if I just leave it alone, it'll go away. Listen, it ain't going away. It will not go away until you bring it out into the light. And, and one of the things that I've been able to discover with this gal right here, one of the things that we do that we practice is we practice painful transparency with each other. We talk about everything. We talk about the shameful stuff. We talk about the sinful stuff. We talk about the irrational stuff. Stuff that we know is not even rational. We'll talk about it with each other. We just bring it out into the light because in darkness it can do damage, but when it's exposed it can be dealt with. And so we bring it out into the light so that God can move on it and bring healing to it. And here's what I've, I've come to learn. Love cannot be complete until it's given the opportunity to love completely. In other words, you don't have the opportunity to love fully until you know fully. But when I fully am able to be transparent with her and I see her love me in spite of my weakness, in spite of my shame, in spite of my downfall, what I'm seeing in my spouse in that moment, what I see in her in that moment is the love of Jesus. Because that's how Jesus loved you. At your worst, he died for you. In your shame, he died for you. In your irrational thinking, he died for you. In your fear, he died for you. That's the love he, he expressed towards us. And that's the love, listen, that's the love that we're called to express to the world around us. So what does this look like? Well, here's what it looks like. You must be transparent. You cannot compartmentalize parts of your life and hide things away and say, uh, this will just go away on its own. No, no, no. Bring it out into the light. I, I realize that that's going to lead to some tough conversations. I get it. I've had them. Right. Where you have to bring up stuff and I, I'm going, I know this may hurt you, but I'm going to tell you this. But we've got to get real. We've got to get transparent. There's an intimacy that you can have. There's, there's, a, 
There's a, there's a righteousness you can experience with your spouse, a covered in righteousness of Jesus Christ that you can experience if you're willing to, to be willing to bring those areas right. out. And I think sometimes when we hear this, we think automatically, like, we think sin. Like, we've got to tell our spouse when we're struggling with pornography or lust. But I want you to know it's not just yeah, that. No. Like, We've come to each other with sin that we're both dealing with, but we've also come to each other with insecurities, with lies, with doubt, with things that the enemy's throwing at us and just being like, hey, just so you know, I'm feeling like the enemy's attacking me here. And like you said, it's irrational, but when when I bring it to him and he can minister to me and I see this love that he has for me, so we're not just talking about sin. We're talking about just the secrets of your heart, the things that you're dealing with on a daily basis that you need to bring out and have, a, have that's what you're one. That's part of this relationship that's going to help people see God's glory. So you got to be transparent. And then here's the other side of that. You must love relentlessly. Some of you are maybe going to hear from somebody, your spouse this week, and they're going to come to you and they're going to say, hey, this is going on. And it's in that moment that you get to choose to love them like Jesus loves them. And to say, I'm going to love you relentlessly. But realize when they do this, it's not easy for them. They're trusting you with their heart in that moment when they expose that to you. And so I get that it may hurt. And I get, and I'm not saying that you can't express to them that you're upset or aggravated with something that's going on. Or, or, but, but you, you've got to love them. That's what you're called to do. That's who you're called to be. We've got to practice transparency with our spouse. And we believe this. If you will do what we're talking about today, if you'll fill up these six jars to the top, everybody say to the top. To the top. You're giving God something to work with, right. something that he can come and he can do a miracle in, yep. and he can turn it into something greater. And it brings glory to, to God, and it brings joy and peace and happiness and fulfillment into into your marriage. If you'll pour into your marriage to the top, God will pour in something incredible. He'll, he'll transform into something amazing. So, so here, here we go to the top. Treasure, number one, T is treasure your role. O is outserve one another. P is protect your heart. O, occupy the marriage bed. F, find time. And then F, facilitate transparency. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord, I just lift up these marriages in this room today. God, I thank you for everybody that's here that's married. I pray for everyone who's here that's, that's not married. Maybe they're divorced. Maybe they, they're, they're, they're young right now and they're planning to get married someday. God, I just pray, Lord, that you would bless the marriages of our church. We know that marriages are a big deal. And I pray, Lord, that you're ministering to the marriages of our, of our church. You're ministering to people. You're helping us to step into this incredible role that you've called us to walk in in marriage together. Thank you, Lord, for blessing us in our marriage. Help us to be doers of this word today. Help us to to be people who are filling up our marriage to the top. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.